Recovery Internet Radio, broadcast direct from Straight Up Studios here in beautiful Baldelli, Illinois. Uh, we've got a quick promo from our new sponsor. Oh, welcome to our newest sponsor, Rose Painting and Drywall. Very nice, adding color to Chicagoland since 1965. Very good man. Tonight on Straight Stuff on Addictions, Sober Alcoholic Faces Compulsive Overeating. And now let the show begin with our host, Rick Atwater. Thank you, Thank you sidekick Chris. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight where we are every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Um, our show tonight, as Chris mentioned, is Sober Alcoholic Faces Compulsive Overeating. Um, thanks to you, our engineer slash sidekick. Welcome. Got the promotion, the big promotion, make <laughs> Bucks now, and uh, also thank you to uh, Brendan O, who uh, provided the music for our intro. He and his band, I'm not sure which band because he's got a couple, but uh, one of them. And also, uh, we hope he gets well because he uh, fell and broke his wrist recently and has to have some surgery. So, uh, hope he's doing well. And uh, remember that you can call in any time to comment. Um, a question or, uh, God forbid, an opinion by calling us at 323-792-2977. That's 323-792-2977. We'd be happy to take your calls. We'd love to hear from you. You can also send us a tweet. You can follow us on Twitter for the question of the week. and You can also tweet us during the show at Rick Atwater. And you can also like us on uh, on my Facebook page or follow us on blogtalkradio.com, straight stuff on a day. So there's lots of ways to get to us. And uh, also, pretty soon, we're going to have a website. Um, it'll be recoveryinternetradio.com. And we'll let you know when that's uh, up and running. So that's another way you'll be able to get to us and you'll be able to get to the show and a few other things. Um, we also, last week, we started a, a segment that we were calling Peeps on the Street. Um, there's a reason why we're calling it Peeps on the Street, not Man on the Street, but we're not going to go into that now. Um, where we ask random uh, and unsuspecting people the same question that we asked on Twitter uh, for the week. And this week's question is, is it likely or possible for an ad- addicted person to have more than one addiction? So that's the question we asked. We had we we asked a couple. We're only going to run one response tonight, but it was really a good one. So we'll get to that sometime a little bit later in the show. Um, so uh, without babbling on too much longer, I would like to uh, introduce Mike H. Thanks for joining us tonight, Mike. Thanks, Rick. Hello, everybody. <laughs> big. Yeah, you got a big response. You got a peanut gallery. You got a, you got a big response, Mike. So um, the, the, the focus tonight is on the fact that we're, we're, we're talking about two, two addictions. And, um, but before we, before we start talking specifically about the two addictions, I kind of want to set, you know, set the stage a little bit. And okay. I, you know, you know, we know each other already, so it's not even fair, the things I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know you have some uh, addiction in your background. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about that and maybe how that played into 
you know, I mean, we don't necessarily have to go all the way to all the way forward, but some set the stage for us about how that might have played into the future. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, the when, when you say I have it in, in my background, uh, I believe that addictions uh, are uh, genetic in nature, and um, not everybody believes that, but I do. And uh, in my family, uh, there were numerous people who were either uh, alcoholic or uh, they could have been alcoholic uh, mm. if they had taken a, an honest look at themselves. The closest one to me was my mother, mm. and uh, which affected me uh, quite a bit uh, as I was growing up. Did and you know it then? I did know it then. I I, I think I I real the when I the moment that I realized it was when my sister graduated from high school and my father sat me down and said, "It's now your your job to check every night when you get home from school, mm-hmm. see whether or not your your mother has purchased any additional alcohol." Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, an athlete, and I after football, basketball, and baseball practice. Uh, I would come home and hunt the house and find incredible things. In, like what would you find? I'd find bottles of sweet vermouth. I'd mm. find uh, cases of beer, uh, uh, and I'd find them in pockets of robes and coats, in boots, mm-hmm. uh, in bushes outside of our home, in attics. Uh, so it was. Um, it was a job that I had that uh, I quickly understood what was going on in my household. And uh, in addition to that, I uh, I stopped bringing my friends because there were a couple of times where my mother uh, had passed out in various places in the home. Hmm. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I'm bringing my buddies and we would find her laying on the floor. Pretty embarrassing. Yeah. 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 So... Um, so I said. And I you were in high school at the time. I was in high school. Yeah, your sister was already gone. You were. Correct. You were next in line. Just you and she. No, I had uh, a brother who took over after I went to college, <laughs> okay. and then a this, sister. This was and, a whole. Yeah. A whole row. Yeah. And did uh, they take over the job? At, did they actually step into the position? They did. They did. Mm-hmm. And you know the the scars that you get from something like that are incredible. Um, my father passed away about four years ago. My mother passed away in '85, and but about four years ago, when my dad passed away, the, the next year, uh, my siblings and I had a conference call. And in that conference call, I said, uh, "I wanted I wanted you to know that there was a picture of mom and dad at the bottom of my stairs. When my I have my office in my basement, and every day I saw that picture and." I had more good thoughts about mom um, that year than I have had since she's died. Hmm. And I said, I, I really come to terms with uh, mom's alcoholism. Hmm. And there was total silence on the conference call. And the next day, my elder sister called me and said, you know when you mentioned that? And I said, yes. And she said, I have come to terms with that yet and she said I've been through years and years of counseling and I hmm. haven't come to term, come to terms with that what would you say come to terms would would mean for you 
What is that? I had uh, deep resentments towards my mother, mm. and uh, I, I didn't have a. Uh, my mother and I uh, didn't have much of a relationship, and um, those resentments were gone. I let go of those resentments. Mm. And I take it the, the whole the the fact that she was an alcoholic wasn't spoken of in your family or my my, not directly? my father who was um, a real disciplinarian um, until the day he died, um, wouldn't talk about the fact that she was an alcoholic. Did he ever use the word? Only to say that uh, she wasn't an alcoholic. She just okay. liked to drink. <laughs> <laughs> she liked to drink as much as you like to clean up? Yeah. yeah. Or something like that? No, I don't think so. So, But he never did. <clears throat> He was he was what they call an enabler, um, mm. and um, he did that for many years. He he. Um, did you catch any of that? Oh, <laughs> now <laughs> see, that's one of those questions that's that, uh, off the reservation. You know I'm sorry. Me. It's not yes. on the not on the paper. I didn't. Sorry, didn't prepare you for it. I am an enabler. Yeah, yes. you got that too. Yes. Any any better today than you were? A little. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> More later. <laughs> Okay, well, that's good. So, so did your brothers and sisters ever get it, or are they they still pretty much stay in the? Mom was a little bit of an overdrinker stage. No, or? they all they all know that she was alcoholic. Yeah, and um, it's just you know they they understand she's she was alcoholic. Now they do. Well, they did then. Yeah. But they wouldn't have said it, no. or they wouldn't have said it. No, even though they understood it. Right. Anytime, anytime, any of us brought it up to my father, he didn't want to talk about it. Right. And I get what your sister was saying. It was it was too painful for her. It, when you brought it up that time, and she said, "I haven't, I haven't come to terms with that." Is that what she was saying? Too painful for her? No, she's she's come to terms with the fact that my mother was an alcoholic. She mm-hmm. she hasn't she hasn't. Uh, been able to let go of the resentments that she had had towards my mother's illness. I get you. So that's what that's the part that's yeah yeah okay. You you've moved on. I have. <laughs> I have. It's amazing. You're free. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. That's I mean that's a lot of work. That, that's a that lot went of work. into that. That's a lot of work. You know that's a that's a womp right there for me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. I, we, we had to go there. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so let's let's talk, let's see if we can, you know, move a little bit forward into how maybe how did that how did what you got in that in that system bring you bring you uh, up close and personal with Uncle alcoholism? Well, I had I had um, you know one my mother's illness had nothing to do with me. Okay. In my mind, mm. I I said my I will never be like that. Mm-hmm. And um, because I was in athletics, um, and uh, because of the people that I hung around with, I didn't start drinking until I went to college. Yeah, you, and were, you were a good kid. There were different. Uh, you know, every alcoholic has a different story. Mine happens to be that uh, I didn't start drinking until. I had my first purple passion in college. 
Yeah, all I know is it's a lot of vodka and booze with some grape juice. Okay. I don't even know what it is, but it doesn't even sound good, to be honest with you. But you Well, I, I, being a good alcoholic, I got sick oh, okay. when I finished. Good. You yeah. start somewhere there. That's right. Yeah. That's Got to right. have more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I, yeah. I, um, but th- there, there wasn't any correlation in my mind toward my mother's alcoholism and me drinking. And I went from um, being 18 years old until I was 43 years old, and uh, I drank, and it progressively got worse. They say that alcoholism is a progressive disease, and for me, for me, it wasn't. Again, alcoholism is different for uh, various people, or alcohol affects people differently. And for me, it didn't all start at once. And all of a sudden, I've heard people say I could feel it in my veins, and from then on, that's what I wanted to do. For me, that wasn't the case. I gradually built myself up to a roaring, flaming alcoholic. <laughs> and Cumulatively, I did. Yeah. When, but let me ask you the the uh, that time between the time that you were Mr. Cleanup and the time and uh, the and the Purple Passion, it, there was no drinking. Right. What about what was going on in your head? What were what, what was uh, how did you feel about people who drank a lot? Whether you, whether they were, you know, we're not even talking about necessarily whether they were alcoholic or not. I mean, did you have did you have friends that drank a lot? What was your attitude towards it? I had I had friends that um, played that I played sports with that drank you know drank a lot, went to parties, and, mm-hmm. and um, they were my friends. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have any issues with that. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only issue I really had was with my mother. <laughs> and you weren't going to be like that. I wasn't going to be like that. Did you ever hide bottles? Uh, let's see. I don't think I ever hid bottles, but um, well, there you I go. didn't come home at night a lot. <laughs> <laughs> totally didn't have to hide them. <clears throat> yeah, I did you some just other drink things. It, my drink mother it all wherever do. you were and then didn't bring the empty some. There That's you go. right. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, so, I mean, it's just the only thing I'm getting at is how funny the brain works. You know, oh, how it's, I'm not going to be like that, but it's okay to be like this. You know, incredible. this is like crazy, but you're not like that. So if I don't sleep on the kitchen floor, I'm okay. Now, if I sleep uh, I sleep in my car, that's fine. I'm not like her. Right. Right. I don't know. Did you ever sleep in your car? <clears throat> I don't ever slept in my car either. Did you ever sleep in any Well, I passed out in my car. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll, okay, we'll take that. We'll take that as a yes. <laughs> did, did you did you ever do anything that you said? Or what was the progression of doing things that you said you would never do? Do you remember doing any things that you said you would never do? Um, the towards the end of my alcoholism, I was coming home drunk and playing with the kids. The kids were the kids were small and they didn't. They didn't understand I was drunk. Mm. They just thought I was funny, <laughs> and um, and I would pass out on the couch. Mm. And as far as everyone was concerned, Daddy fell asleep on the couch. Mm. You know, and so you know the, that's the type of thing that my mother would do. Um, and uh, but I didn't go to uh, you know I missed some. Uh, you know, soccer games, some gymnastics meets. I missed things that the kids were involved with, and all the burden was on my wife. 
Mm. And uh, <clears throat> and a lot of the times I use the excuse of working um, business dinners, uh, business lunches. And uh, after I uh, stopped drinking and had uh, gotten into Alcoholics Anonymous for a while, uh, and it, this this was like three or four years after that that happened. Uh, I started to realize that I had set up my whole life around alcohol. I didn't realize I was addicted to alcohol. Uh, even even when I <clears throat> went into Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't realize what a physical addiction I had until I started looking back mm-hmm. and I started seeing that. Uh, if I had a client that didn't drink, but I was going to meet him in a restaurant, it was for breakfast. And I saved uh, lunch and dinner for those um, clients of mine that drank heavily. Because you didn't know it at the time. You didn't consciously <clears throat> I didn't consciously think about that until that. you look back at it. Correct. Yeah. But so I set my I set my uh, my whole life up around alcohol and when I was going to have alcohol. Now, what do you what do you think? Looking back on it now, what do you think that took? I mean, how how can you how can you do that and 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 then look at where you came from and then how did your brain manage that? Like, I don't. Know. <laughs> we can have a for that too. Yeah, because, uh, you got one. Sure, let's, let's have one. You want to? <laughs> You got a crazy train? You got a crazy train. Give us one of those. I'm not that sure. That's what it was. Yes. I think that's what it would take. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we 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 hear the phrase, you know, the insanity of, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe that maybe that's what it is. I don't know. If there is an answer you can give me to that, but it's. I know. my my ex-wife would tell me I was alcoholic all the time. Yeah. And it, and I would tell her that I was an alcoholic. I wasn't like my mother, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I wasn't as bad as some of the other guys at the bar. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't until um, it wasn't until I was separated from my wife, had gone on a uh, golf vacation to Mexico, mm. which was a four-day drunk, mm. uh, and I came back and. I had I had some physical problems and uh, had to go into the hospital. And <clears throat> the doctor that I uh, that that uh, was treating me said, "Do you drink?" And I said, "Yes, I drink quite a bit." Mm-hmm. And he said, "How much do you drink?" And I said, "Well, I minimum I drink three Manhattans a day, big Manhattans." Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said, "You're an alcoholic." And I said, "That's what my ex-wife." Is. Said, uh, you know. Yeah. What's the matter with you two? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "If you don't stop drinking like this, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to end up with cirrhosis of the liver. That's what you're going to die from." Was it liver problems that you were? I mean, was yes. that was what it was that you were there for? Yes. Yeah. My liver was shutting down. Yeah. And um, and um, that was when my mind said, "Uh oh." I'm like mom. Oh, okay. That, that was that was a moment of clarity. My yeah. my ex-wife didn't get through to me. Mm. As hard as she tried. But 
that doctor scared me, and I changed. Hmm. And um, it was um, it was it was the you know it, it was that moment of clarity that uh, I didn't I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous at the time, and I didn't know anything I didn't know anything about being powerless over alcohol. Hmm. I didn't understand that. Yeah, most people would not even know the word. Right. right. You know. Like, well, and uh and and again, it took me a number of years to be honest with myself about uh being powerless. Even after that being cured by the doctor yes. and realizing you know, I wanna go I wanna like just for a minute go back a little bit and ask you like when you were when you were drinking, though, early on, purple passion stage drinking, we'll just call it, did you ever feel different? Not necessarily different in your drinking, but different. You felt like you didn't fit in, or, or did you always feel like you were part of the part of the part of the deal that was going? On? I'm not one of those guys who felt that way. You didn't. I, you have a not fit in feeling. No, I've got a big ego, and mm-hmm. I always thought I had it going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like fact, to run the, You were the reason we're there. <laughs> <laughs> <That's interesting. clears throat> that was another thing I yeah. had to work on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you you are kind of the party, but still, <laughs> yeah. some things don't just make it. Anyway, okay. Just wanted to. I just wanted to check that out because some people, especially. People come from alcoholic families have that that built-in, not fit-in feeling. You you had a different adaptation. So. I have that problem, but um, the first time I I ever remember uh, uh, the uh, being afraid that I could my mother's problem, not knowing that I had it, but being afraid I, I had it, was when I had my first selling job out of college, mm-hmm. and uh, they assigned me a huge account, and this was about almost a year after I started the job. And they assigned me this huge account. They told me to take these guys out to lunch, and the first thing I said was, "Are we going to drink?" I don't know why I said, that, but that was the thing that came to my mind. You're asking your your boss that, or the yeah, guy's boss? Oh, your boss. Yeah, my boss. Are, are we going to drink? And he said, yeah. "He said um, you can drink with them, but don't get drunk." Yeah. And um, I um, had to be very careful with that um, because I really wanted to go and take, take these guys out. I wanted to drink it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's normal to be pre-planning that. Well, yeah, maybe to ask that kind of a question, or you know, yeah, to ask that question is, would make you, would, and then you first started to wonder. Yep. Like, why did I even think that way? Why did I? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And that that was some time back. So there's like some symptoms, signs, things that are that are going on, but nothing that you pay really heavy duty attention to until. Uh, and what's the next thing that comes up? What's the next moment that that what bumps you to you know get starting to get well? Well, 
again, our stories are different, but uh, I stopped drinking. And I and when I was in the hospital, I I don't know this for I think I went through withdrawal. I was in the hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, and when I got out of the hospital, I stopped drinking, and um, and I kept going to the same tavern that I had been going to, and uh, the bartender said, um, "I'll give you six weeks, and you'll be back. Uh, you'll be back drinking again." Hmm. And I didn't go back. I never went back to that bar again, and um, because I decided I'm not going to drink anymore, and uh, and so um, so then I went for about a year and I didn't drink, and then one night I had three Manhattans. Do we have busy train place? <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. Okay. So and um, a year later, a year later, mm-hmm. and then and then and then the next day, I I talked to myself a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, and I said, self, you can't you can't do this. <laughs> do and he now. Yeah. And um, so I um, so I wasn't drinking, and then I said. Um, I asked uh, my current wife, Tree, to uh, to go out for dinner and on a date. Mm-hmm. And um, not married at the time, right? Your your current wife, but not married yet. Here we was, were not married, correct? Yeah. I was married to my first. Oh, wife. you were married to your we first. Going out, you were going out with your first wife. Going yeah. out with your we had been separated about a year and a half, and uh, and. Um, and so um ask her I asked her to uh to go out and um and we went out for dinner and and then I and then uh we went out again the next week and we went to her house and she said uh you know I'm I'm not sure what I have to drink and I and I said, Well, you know, I'm not drinking anymore and and she said, you don't have to pull with me. And, and uh, it's okay if you drink. And I said, I'm not drinking anymore. And she told me she was in Alcoholics Anonymous then. And, um, huh. and so we started dating, and she was going to meetings. And, and when she, she would come home from the meetings, and I would take her out for dinner, uh, I would say, wow, you got your being fixed tonight. You know, mm-hmm. you are really mellow. And uh, and so for <clears throat> another year, uh, I would uh, comment to her about these meetings that she was going to. And in the meantime, <clears throat> she took me to two sober rests, um, which is, you know, it's a group of people anywhere from 600 to 1,000 people that get together. <clears throat> the first one that I went to, the only person that I knew there was Frank, the bartender, <laughs> and I didn't was know any of the other. The guy people. that had given you six weeks? No, this is a different bartender. Oh, okay, <clears throat> that would have been ironic. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and as it turned out, the the uh, the second Soberfest that I went to uh, on October twenty third, uh, nineteen ninety three. 
I went to a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous instead of open meetings. And that was, your that was my first day in Alcoholics Anonymous. Hmm. Well, that's probably a good that's probably a good place to stop for a minute because the 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 I guess well I want to do you know introduce John um, and then when we pick back up then I want to take it from that point at which you start your recovery and talk about what that looked like and what that felt like and then on into phase two okay okay yep okay so that's what we'll do so um, so tonight um, we've had uh, every other week we've had uh we've had music and uh so I thought tonight it would be um interesting to have uh a friend of mine john uh alias soup coat johnny <laughs> we should, not, not in this weather no okay okay not in this weather and you don't have your soup coat on tonight so but anyway uh john's a poet and among other things and uh so I thought it would be uh, of interest to have John uh, do some reading for us. How, how did you? What's what? Where did poetry come from for you, John? Where where did that start? It started uh, when I was real young. I can't I can't recall. It was uh, pre-adolescence. I read something and uh, enjoyed the the push and the pull and the conflict and the relax like. Hmm. Usual addicted <laughs> human beings do the highs and the lows mm-hmm. and the words, and they came and I was pulled in one direction and mm-hmm. and back and forth, and I enjoyed it so much that it just stuck with me, and I found out that uh, words can just do so much for us, mm-hmm. you know, as human beings. And, and you've written some of your own stuff. Some, no, yeah, I've written some stuff. Um, not not too proud of a lot of it, but yeah, sure. Okay. Um, what are you thinking about uh, reading for us tonight? Well, I was sitting here, thinking, you know, looking, looking at the mic, and I I took a few notes down and some connects and some scars and some overcoming parents and forgiveness and a lot of work, mm-hmm. you know. So I I have a few things here, and I don't know where to quite place them, but I'll I'll start off with a few things. It seems like a lot of us need to get over our parents, and I did too. Mm. And doing that takes a lot of forgiveness. So I'm going to read two things wrote passage for my father, because every man needs to write a passage. And the second one would be solace, which is my mother, which for a young man needs a little solace, <laughs> you know, which I didn't get from either one of them. Mm-hmm. So write of passage, father. I know him only as a child murmured memories of some other's distant past. Upon his death I will reveal. I see his guilt, shame, confusion, spurned by fear, projected through glazed windows of his soul, stammering, stalwart, denial. I grew to love him as though he were a child. That's when I put him away. That's when I was able to let him go. I didn't have to I didn't have to care him anymore, you know. Yeah. But I had mother herself. What need now lament us so long ago? The exoneration of your shame, affirmation of our existence to reach and feel your grief. How brutal exit. Quick, 
street flight from such a tumultuous milieu concerning my children, I forgive you. Mm. I put her away. Mm. So, you, so, you know, as and I did as alcoholics, you know, we need to get beyond and, and, and to that point of freedom. Yep. So that was that was two that you know. And do those does does writing those and you know maybe even sometimes reading those occasionally either yourself or out loud does that help you? Is that a part of your? Oh, that's healing. That's who I am. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I like your stuff. And really, yeah, we, we we grow. Yeah. With, with, as we write and our vocabulary gets better, or gets worse, better, but <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's that's how I that's how I use poetry and use words to propel through life or just to deal with a lot of life uncertainties. Deal with the stuff that comes up. Yeah. Sure. You know, you'll I'll get an image in my head or something. Try to play with some words, you know. But one thing I asked you the other night was I think I asked you to look into a Look into Paint the glass. Look into the glass. Yeah. And as everyone can just glance at the glass, this is my favorite. This is by A.K. Romanujan. I resemble everyone but myself, and sometimes see in shop windows, despite the well-known laws of optics, the point of a stranger. Date unknown, unsigned in the corner by my father. Mm-hmm. So speaking of genetics, how how do we carry our fathers and our images of who we are and our perception of our parents with us on and on and on. And we were, yeah, we were walking out of the, we were walking right. out of the room. And, and, and I, I, most of us had made look in the window. glance in the right. shop window or saw the image and it wasn't quite us, though it was someone somewhat related to us, <laughs> you know. So that's a really great poem by Ramanujan. That is. An Indian poet. So I like to flash that image, you know, something mm-hmm. brief with some clarity. It is. It is. It is. It gives you some clarity. There's too much going on in my head. I need something fast. You know, <laughs> something like, bam, all right, yeah, I got it. I'm going on. You know, there's more noises going on. Right. So will you, um, then, will you read uh, a, a piece or two more at, at, as we oh, close? Oh, sure, I'd like to, yeah. Do you have another piece now, or do you want to wait until the end? I have something at the end I'd really like that I found by Mona Van Boon. Okay. Who uh, really saw it? So okay, yeah. Okay. So save her. We'll save her for the yeah, end. Moon and then, great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Terrific. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate it. <laughs> we've got some. It seems we have some Arabic members in the audience tonight. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming all the way from Saudi Arabia and. <laughs> I'm over there. (laughs) (laughs) Farm animals over there.
you could be on the radio. But question this week was, uh, what was the question this week? The question was, um, is it likely or possible for an addicted person to be addicted to more than one thing or multiple, multiple addictions? addictions. Right. right. This is a good response, I think. Okay, so we're okay. We're recording. So the question is, can do you think someone can be addicted to more than one thing? Absolutely. Tell me, tell me, how can that how can that be? Give me an example. Uh, so I think that addictions usually are multiple addictions. For example, with myself. It was this thing where it would be alcohol, like I'd start with alcohol, alcohol to cocaine, and then cocaine to crystal meth. So okay. it was always kind of this thing where it was like, if it started with one, it went to another, and then it always like progressed. And it was all of the above. Mm-hmm. And I think that if somebody um, is an addict, they in general can have addict tendencies, and that can be, and that can forward in any place of their life, including love addiction, um, shopping addiction, um, sex addiction. I think all of those things are related. And I've often heard of people in the program who, once they start taking care of some other addictions, other ones start to form or happen. For example, it's very common in the programs that I'm involved in that once they start to take care of their drug or alcohol addiction, it can then lead into sex addiction. Because that can be related. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, yeah, so I wasn't at a Bulls game, but I was in a hair, was in a hair salon. <laughs> and it was boomity boom music going on, and that was the best I could do. But anyway, so did you hear, did you get the drift of what he was saying? Yes. What, what, what would you, well, would you agree with him, disagree with him? How would you, how would you come down on that, on, on, the, on the questions? Well, the, the reason I think you asked me here tonight is because I have at least dual addictions. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, just to give you a little background on it, um, uh, since 1993, uh, I've been uh, attending meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. And a year and a half ago, uh, my family had an intervention for me Mm -hmm. about my health uh, because I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, I have diabetes, and um, I, I currently have seven grandchildren with an eighth one on the way, mm. and my kids have all been saying, we want you to take care of yourself because we want you to know, our, we want our grandchildren to know you. And uh, so here's what we want you to do. We want you to lose weight, and we want you to go to Overeaters Anonymous. You've done so well in Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you go to Overeaters Anonymous? Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell them that the reason why I wasn't going to Overeaters Anonymous is because I didn't want to admit that I was an overeater. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fundamental start. That yes, yeah. yes. And so um, the um, I started out on a path a year and a half ago uh, starting to attend Overeaters Anonymous meetings. In addition to that, my children and my and my wife uh, uh, bought me a uh, class at our local club, and uh, it was 
uh, for eight weeks on a Monday night. Uh, they uh, they did uh, dietary education, and uh, Tuesday night they did uh, exercise. And uh, I liked the uh, dietary part. I hated the exercise part. <laughs> I hated it. Mm-hmm. The last night of the class, I told the instructor, I, I said, I I want you to know I hate this class. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I said, it however, clear. <laughs> however, yeah. about a week and a half ago, I started to enjoy exercising again. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, I've been able to uh, exercise, continue to exercise for the last year and a half. And <clears throat> because of the dietary information, I've been able to organize myself in terms of the type of food that I'm eating. And um, in addition to that, um, I am totally um, sold on the 12-step program, resold on on the 12-step program because of Overeaters Anonymous. Hmm. So now let me rewind a little. So you, you got sober from alcohol in 1993. Yes. And you addressed your compulsive overeating in 2010. 2011. 2011. Yeah. So, never was that good math. So, <laughs> close the, the, yeah, close enough. So, there's a lot of space in there. Yes. So, was the, was the uh, compulsive overeating, I mean, going on the whole time? Did it did, was it interference? Were you dieting or trying to lose weight at various times in that period of time? I know you've had some hip surgeries, so I'm wondering how that, that played all the deal. I started eating compulsively sometime in my childhood because I was in athletics. I never had a weight problem, Okay. and I started gaining weight when I went to college. Okay. And uh, I was... Um, before, in my junior and senior year in high school, because I wanted to be heavier to play football, uh, I was drinking in the summertime. Uh, besides working out, I was drinking two large shakes every night, finding uh, weight, and I couldn't I couldn't gain a pound. Mm. But in addition to that, I was eating all kinds of you know all kinds of crud and, and not, so, gaining, not gaining any but weight. Still- but still doing what you would call eating compulsively. Yes, yes. I mean, because some people wouldn't understand that. Like, wouldn't understand. Well, if you're not gaining weight, then how how does that? Well, my father, my my father used to go to uh, Goldblatt's and uh, and would he <laughs> would a limited number of people that would know about that too. But, yeah. He would he would uh, he would buy two pounds of these chocolate cookies and. Did eat that whole bag of cookies, and I did eat that whole bag of cookies hundred times. He couldn't believe he couldn't keep me in those chocolate cookies. Just <laughs> <laughs> two pounds at a time. Yeah. Didn't we have some line about twelve <clears throat> pack of beer? Yeah, there was some related, you know, addiction wise. Like you get a twelve pack of beer comes in a twelve pack, a dozen donuts. Donuts come in twelve pack too. Yeah. I'm just wondering about that. But anyway, that's just tip. But the but the interesting thing about it is I never realized I ate compulsively until I got into Overeaters Anonymous. When and, and then explain what 
explain how you how you define compulsion. What is what is a compulsion designed to do? What what is compulsion about, as far as you're concerned? If I were to open a bag of potato chips, yeah, I would eat the whole bag of potato chips. Okay. I can't stop. Okay. That's a compulsion. That is a compulsion. I will yeah. go with you on that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Same with liquor. You. Same with liquor. So open this. I was with a friend of mine last Thursday night, and he he said, the one thing different of me than my friends in high school was I didn't stop. Hmm. And that's the same that's the same thing that uh, that happened to me with with alcohol. But but the other part of it is that um, you know for 18 years or 17 years I was uh, I was in Alcoholics Anonymous going to meetings and trying to do the the right things and trying to follow the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, and one of the things that uh, you're supposed to try to do is is turn your life and your will over to the care of God as you understand God. Mm -hmm. And and that means let go of your tendencies and let go of the things that are bothering you in life. And it wasn't until I got into Overeaters Anonymous and I started hearing other people discuss issues with food that I realized that um, the person the person that you asked about uh, double addictions, uh, peeps on the street, uh, <laughs> said that it's likely um, I traded alcohol uh, and I and I used food to substitute. Uh, if I, you know, when I when I drank alcohol, if I was celebrating, I drank alcohol. When I was upset, I drank alcohol. And uh, and then when I wasn't drinking alcohol, uh, then I would eat. If I and uh, and and uh, what I discovered uh, after about eight months in Overeaters Anonymous was that um, all of a sudden I realized that. The feeling that I had that I thought was hunger was really tension or it was um, anxiety. Um, I was feeling something inside of me that I was identifying as hunger, but it really wasn't hunger. Because I could I could have that feeling 10 minutes after I ate or four hours after I ate. Would it ever be other th- like loneliness or? Yeah, other things. it would be feelings, feelings. and and uh, and those feelings I would mask uh, having to deal with those feelings by eating. Right. So you you could only get so far, you you could only get so far in AA, and then I didn't even realize it. it's the yeah. same thing when I didn't want to be like my mother. Yeah, it's the same thing. My it, mind was not uh, comprehending this. Right. Right. Okay, I get you. It just wasn't even it wasn't even in your consciousness. No, I okay. and uh, the people that I've met in Overeaters Anonymous uh, have the same experience. Right. They didn't. A woman um, a month ago that uh, came to her first Overeaters Anonymous meeting said, "I feel so good about the fact that uh, you're talking about this as being a disease." I've been asking myself, what's the matter with me? Why can't I do this? How come I don't have any willpower? And people in Overeaters Anonymous consider uh, 
this a disease, mm-hmm. just like alcoholics consider mm-hmm. a disease. And it's a compulsion of the mind. And uh, and for me, uh, uh, I have reinvigorated uh, in practicing the 12 steps uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, through Overeaters Anonymous. It means so much more to me today than it did a year and a half ago because it's it's fresh for me. Well, I've had the privilege to see that. So, you know, I can testify that that's absolutely true. You your recovery just went boom like a like a flower, and to to speak in a way to speak to the the people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess the que- the question or the the, the way I would have maybe ask the question differently or want to frame it now is can recovery does, did the recovery from alcohol kind of the basis then I mean you couldn't have done what you did with food probably separately you, you needed to do do it the way you did it in the end here you had to recover from alcohol and then this is what came second for me that's the case yeah. yeah I mean I suppose people do it the other way around this is the way it was for you yeah and I, and I, I uh, actually, there are, I would, I would say probably half people that I know in Overeaters Anonymous have dual addictions. Okay. Various. Yes. Now, can I ask a quick question? Yes. Just what occurs to me in, in being in, you know, for, for anybody, whether it's, whether it's OA or whatever the case may be, something that's not, if I'm not going to have a drink, but there's no point where you're you can't say I'm not going to eat anymore. There's it's a, is it a different different way you have to do that? Yes, it's actually harder. Um, uh, people say, um, you know, first of all, with Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're gonna, if you're going to succeed in being sober, uh, you can't drink anymore. You can't drink alcohol anymore. Uh, you can still drink coffee and water and things like that. So you do drink, right? But you just don't drink alcohol. And um, but the um, some people, um, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I, with with food, yeah. How do you deal with the food issue since you still oh, have to eat? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I imagine where you draw that line. So when I walked into Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm famous for this, uh, uh, my sponsor tells me that uh, I put a mask on for the world, so they don't know what I'm thinking, uh, and uh, so they don't. I don't let them see the real me. But the very first uh, meeting that I went into Overeaters Anonymous, we did the first step, and we said we were powerless over food. And I smiled and looked at everybody and nodded. And, and in my head, I'm saying, I'm not powerless over food. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not powerless over food. And uh, and then the, the second meeting that I went to, somebody said, I realized that I'm powerless over binge foods. And that was like a light switch going off for me because I realized... <clears throat> That is something that I know that I, I can't, I can't eat, and so <clears throat> I wrote down a list the way this person said they did, of all of the things that I binge eat, 
And <clears throat> so since that day, I have not eaten those pinch foods. Okay. It's made all the difference in the world for me. Thank you. Yep. And that's how, and that's what sobriety that's what sobriety is in a way. That's that's, that's the way it works. Um, I want to. Well, I, I unfortunately we're going to need to wrap this, and I want to bring Jack on to read in just a second. But what I'd like to do is just um, uh, maybe can you can you tell us a little bit just a wrap on how. How your two programs together have helped you? How how working both of those programs has made the difference? Um, well, first first of all, uh, I'm so familiar with the twelve steps from from being an Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, by having been an Alcoholics Anonymous for all these years, my life became stabilized, and my thinking processes are decent relative to what they were before. Mm -hmm. Some people would say that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. We I'm won't, not going to play crazy right now. Yeah, we won't do pizza on the street. No, we're not. No. no. <laughs> and, um, and so because I understood uh, the concept of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it was an easy transition for me once I accepted the fact that I was an overeater. Passed over those particular foods. Yeah. That was an easy. Decision. It was easy. Okay. Yes. Have any advice for people out there who are looking at compulsive overeating and are worrying? What would you tell them? I would tell them that um, uh, there are all kinds of courses that you can take relative to um, uh, improving your diet and still uh, and not dieting, and you can improve your diet and not be on a diet and and you can uh, you can become healthy again uh, I never thought I was going to become healthy again and uh, you can become healthy again if uh, you make a commitment and for me I had to have the commitment of Overeaters Anonymous tied in with 12 steps okay. alright well I, I, I thank you and I'm sure people out there would appreciate that greatly and Thanks for coming and telling your story tonight, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right. And anybody, if anybody, if anyone that uh, is your listeners want to know, have them contact you to contact me, and I'll be more than happy to help them. Great. We'll yeah. do that. Right. Thank you. Okay. So, John, let's bring it. Let's bring it. Who you got? Oh, you know. We deal so much with the things that some of these founders talk about forgiveness. And I read this. I've been trying to figure out Mona Van Dunn for about 15 years. <laughs> She's a Pulitzer Prize winner. And I just have this book and I've tried read her year after year. And, and as time goes by, I don't figure what she's saying. But anyway, I found this one. It kind of deals with with people who are uh, overcoming the victories, you know, having victories over themselves. and uh, So here we go. Kronos gathered the gods one day on their mountain. There was a man, he told them, who played the most men. Look down at him and claim gifts him as I name them, that I may see how easy you shift his power with my precious mortals. First, sweetness of nature. A god began to beam. That was me. I recognized my choice, a vessel to fill from my coveted golden stream. 
a manly gentleness, a, a manly gentleness. A God looked down. Mine, I gave him the gift that would increase my own nature, the chance for gods and men to live in the dear community of peace. Fealty to friends, a warlike God looked and spoke. spoke. To battle, though battle needs my powers, I know, and so gave him my gift for the linking of hands that fellowship offers the most immortal hours. Brilliance of mind, a God looked and with pride cried out, found him worthy of my gold. New minted intelligence my whole I gave him, subtle and sensitive and clear and bold. My goddess claimed to have given the most becoming raiment for all the earth. A loving heart God could not look. The eyes of arrows were blind with his own tears. Mm. That's it. Thank you, John. A uh, couple of things. Uh, thanks to our guests. Thanks to John. Uh, John D., Suko, alias Sukkot Johnny, who doesn't have a suit cut on tonight. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll email uh, out the link for next week's show as soon as I have it. And remember, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you enjoyed the show. Wish your feedback and ideas, and we'll see you at 8 o'clock next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.